Today we're going to continue our summer series and studying through the Psalms. The title for today's message, and I mentioned this, and, I, and I'm going to encourage you, you're going to get much more out of this message when you go home and continue in this Psalm. I'm not going to cover the, the totality and all that's in Psalm 32 today. I'm going to catch some key points as a primer, perhaps, and maybe even an encouragement, a couple tastes for you to then take and throughout this week even ponder and consider what God would show you from this very passage of Scripture. Blessed is the one who has been forgiven. Psalm 32 is a psalm of David. It is listed as a contemplation, which really the Hebrew word is, you know, maskil, and it speaks of, you know, this psalm can be set to, to a stanza or a song or maybe a poetic, you know, reading, but it's meant to be a contemplation, an instruction. And think of it this way, Psalm 32 is a lesson to learn from, that we could look at this and go, wow, how is that real in my life? How is that applied? It's me as well, I'm reading about here. And it begins, let me read the first five verses, and then we're going to come back and look at some elements within that that are relevant to all of us. It begins in verse 1 with, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, which means pause. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. In verses 1 through 5, we have relational truths in regards to your relationship with God that are equally important to you and I as they were to David at that time. We can look at, and I'll give you a kind of an outline to consider. In the first two verses, David, we can see, and it'll apply for you and for me, is to recognize the truth. What has God done? Well, God has forgiven. He provides forgiveness. And we're going to see what, what David was going through at the time. So recognize the truth. Verses 3 and 4, remember the trials. We can see David talking about a season in his life that was very tough. The third part to the outline would be repent from the transgressions. See, it's what we continue to do. It's what we, where we admit we're wrong, we own it, and then we see what God would do in renewing us, which is the last point, to be renewed in the truth. So picking up there, verse 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David, and I hope you can relate to this, is speaking from a point of understanding. What we see in verses 1 and 2 we'll then see kind of a history building up to that in verses 3 through 5. Still stick with me on this first part. See, David's at a point where he realizes God's promises, and they've come to fruition and comprehension through personal experience. The promises were always there, but David's at a point in his life that he gets it. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've been told certain things, kids, you've been told certain things, but then there's this 
maybe we call it a light bulb moment where it just makes sense. I remember hearing it this way so frequently. As I mentioned, we have six kids between the age of five and 15 when we moved out here. Our kids were involved in Sunday school, the older kids in youth group, and of course all of them as they grew. And each one of them, it seemed, at one point would come home and they would share a truth, a promise, something from the Word of God that a youth leader told them. Now, Kim said it, I said it frequently, but there was no lights on. Nobody seemed to be home. But there was a point where it made sense. All of a sudden, that promise, because for whatever reason, it made sense to this person. They're like, oh, I get it. Well, that's where David's at. He's at a a light bulb moment, but he's actually reflecting, as we're going to see here in a little bit. It's widely held that David expressed this psalm after his sins were committed. The sins against Uriah, the sin against Bathsheba, the sin against many others. See, David was guilty of adultery, deception, murder, and much more. And worse yet, in this initial season, it appeared that David had gotten away with it all. See, What we're seeing in verses 1 and 2 is his realization. But what we know from history chronologically is that David had committed sin and and he didn't die. You know what I mean? He didn't get lightning and get popped on the spot. He continued to go on about life. And, And so here he does these things and to the very few that knew the details and the atrocity that David committed, they had to be deeply disturbed. Agreed? You're that slave, that servant, you know what happened, and you're like, oh, how can he do these things and get away with it? Well, David got away with it. Now, we're going to go into here in a moment what David was going through. But remember, we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the details of what David had done. And before the people, he basically didn't get in trouble. He was okay with it. I don't know if he's okay with it, but nobody could do anything about it. But understand this. In the latter part of verse 27 of 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're told, But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. So he really didn't get away with it. Even though people didn't call him out, he he was in no way getting a pass on righteousness and proper living. Well, It seems that David is able to continue going about his business, doing life. But within two years, God will send a man by the name of Nathan the prophet. And Nathan will be a spokesman to bring the truth to a fresh reminder in David's life and calling him out on it. See, the sin took place probably possibly up to two full years later. Nothing's happened. Before David arrived, or Nathan arrives, David went, was, he was about doing the king thing. You know what I mean? Leading the people, attending the services, fulfilling kingly and religious responsibilities. Um, you know, he was publicly keeping busy, trying to move beyond that season of sin. And maybe some of you are familiar. Maybe you've went through that season. Oh, sure, I'm confident you, you weren't dealing with adultery and murder in, your, on your own, in the blood on your own hands. But dealing with these just transgressions and these going against the direction of God and the very will of God. 
And so as David's going through it, he's just, he, it's, it's, he thinks he's moving away from it. But we're going to see in verses 3 and 4, he never moves away from it because it's residing within him and growing bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. So when we're dealing with these things that we seem to get away with, I had a person tell me one time, I don't know if what I'm doing is actually that bad because God hasn't really busted me for it. And I'm like, that's your measure? If I get a disease or if I lose a limb or I am like removed permanently, then obviously God wasn't approving. I don't think that's the best way to measure things, agreed? I think obedience might be measured by the relationship not just some severe consequences that somehow would prove to you that God's upset. A lot of people have the perception that God is just outside visibility, got the lightning button in one hand and the strike him dead in the other hand, and just waiting. You get out of line, you're going down. That is not the God we serve. That is not the God of creation. The God we know, we see, as it reveals in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, is personal and intimate. Let's look what David was going through. You know, I would suggest this is a, a time when he hasn't really been called out. He's, verses 3 and 4, when he's still harboring his hidden sin. And he's trying to make it look like everything's okay. And he's trying to distance himself from it. But it is always with him. And we're told in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. It really speaks, not only was he verbally not talking about the issue he had to deal with, he kept in silence. He was silented. In other words, he, he just didn't have a sense where he could engage with the Lord. Remember, David, we know, he has a relationship with the living God. We've seen his hand. You, you know if you've studied through the, the history books in the Old Testament. How he, he empowered David to go against this giant of a man. Goliath, who, who defied the armies of the living God, Goliath did. And David was empowered to take him down. David was used mightily to, as, a, as a soldier and as a warrior. David seen the hand of God in the solitude and in, in the lonely times of shepherding as a young boy. He had a relationship with God. And the sin separated him. He didn't have the intimacy that he previously had. He's in a time of, of silence. My bones grew old. Now, that's not a calcium issue. You know what I'm saying? He's conveying in my innermost being. Your bones are your, part of your skeletal system. So without them, you're just kind of floppy. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you don't have any strength. They don't hold you anywhere. And you see what he's presenting? When... When I was silent and I wouldn't address the issue between me and God, I was, I was just like, I, was, I just, just grew old. I just couldn't even hardly hold myself. I, I groaning all the day long. And it's not audible, verbal. It's the groan of the soul, the cry of the heart, that he's not sure what to do, unsure how to come clean. I mean, what's he going to do? Hold a gathering in the kingdom and say, yeah, I got some stuff I got to talk to you about. You know, it wouldn't have went well. You know that. So what's he going to do? How's he going to deal with this thing behind him that's staying with him, this horrible sin? Well, we're going to see in a little bit that it's between him and God that he has to first deal with that issue. And I know a lot of people, oh, yes, I agree. They're, they're not the severity 
of sin that we see David manifesting. But sin is not measured on a scale of 1 to 10 by God. With severe being mother of a problem and just the little things over here. They're all in the same category, sin. And there's times that we hold on to things and we carry things and, and we don't even realize it's just weighing us down and keeping us kind of held back. Very few people knew of David's sin. David knew his sin. Very few people know of my sin. My, whether it's pride or something I've said or done, but Dan knows his sin. I'm just going to go name by name with every person here today, and I'm going to mention you. Just kidding. You know your sin. You, you know it. Oh, you may, you may scale it down to like 1.2, not a 8.9, but understand, it interferes with your relationship with God. You can keep silent before people, but you can't escape the voice of a conviction that's deep within you. When you're born again, when you have a relationship with the living God, you cannot escape that conviction. And if you allow yourself, your conscience to be seared as with a hot iron, you're literally departing from the living God. And if you can do certain things and it doesn't bother you, certain things that are clearly not right, morally, ethically, or even according to the word of God, and he's like, no big deal. You may not even be born again. I don't care what you say. If you can do things that are like completely void of conviction, you want to ask, why am I not convicted? Does that make sense? You should have a relationship with the living God. David tried to manage things outwardly, but he was coming apart on the inside. Verse 4, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You, you, don't, you do understand, it wasn't actually like the hand of God. All five fingers and just like squeezing his head or something. You know what I'm saying? The imagery, we understand it. It's like there was this sense of like, I can't escape. I don't want to, but I don't know what to do. His hand was heavy upon him. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So he's looking back, and I was just painted this way. Ah, oh, man, I had that, that vitality of life, and it was okay. But then it became like that 105-degree day in Mountain Home when my energy was just sapped. I had good ideas, but at 1 o'clock when I stepped outside, at 2 o'clock when I was about tasked, I had nothing left. You know what I'm talking about? You guys went through it the last couple of weeks. There, it, it's just conveying. There's just, it just sucked the life out of me. Well, what is it? It wasn't the atmospheric temperature. It was the temperature of the heart. And because David was realizing, man, I, I was just, it just sucked the life out of me. My vitality was gone. What did? He was not dealing with the sin in his life. It's referred to as sin and transgression and iniquity. All those are words that describe a person choosing to go away from God, choosing to, to not go where God would direct them, but just say, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go this way, and it's referred to as missing the mark. You know, transgression is kind of like God says, listen, this is my direction for you. A line in the sand, and you go, not me, step across the line. You know, missing the marks where you aim at something, but you just defer and go somewhere else. You miss the mark God had for your life. And it's sin, transgression. And David, you know, he's realizing in that time, I, I, so what do I do, he would say. What can I do? What should you do? Well, it brings to our third point. Repent from your transgressions. Repent is a really fascinating word. It's kind of a, I call it a church word. 
because you just don't hear it in other places for the most part. But it's a real simple principle. It's agreeing that the way I'm going is not the way I should go. With regret that I went that way, I'm now turning this way. I'm turning from my way, and I'm turning to God. I'm relieving this and looking to him. I repent of this choice, and I choose his direction. And David, look what he says in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Selah speaks of pause. Consider. We've already seen it once. We see it again. He's saying, I, I acknowledge my sin. Isn't, did you catch what he's saying here? You know, I went for the, before the Lord in prayer, and I just prayed about how my spouse has treated me so poorly. And I declared how my parents treated me terribly. And my siblings treated me, oh, they were so mean. And God, will you just fry them on the spot in the name of Jesus? It's not what he's saying, is it? He's not passing the buck. He's not putting blame. Those are relevant issues per se. But they're not the main issue. David said, it's my sin. It's my iniquity. It's my transgression. He owned it. It is so important. We're told in Galatians, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. And so David is at that point where I think he's realizing what we would see written later in, 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 as we have what we call the New Testament. We see David now, I have acknowledged my sin to you. And it really isn't complicated, honestly, because as he acknowledges his sin it's very personal and very intimate, very, very essential, so to speak. Because David desired a relationship with the living God. There's maybe, I know there's, there's people here, probably even catching it online, that desire a relationship, a relationship with the living God. Perhaps you went to church a lot, perhaps you haven't. Perhaps you've seen people that are hypocritical. Perhaps you've been hurt by people who claim to be church people. That could all be true, but that's not the issue. To have a relationship with the living God begins with owning our own transgression, owning our sin and saying, God, I, I before you and you only, I have sinned. Psalm 51, we see David also declaring these very truths. I sinned before you first and foremost, God. And he turns from, he didn't make an excuse. I mean, he could, there's a lot of things David could have said, agreed, if you know the story. My brothers didn't treat me well. I wasn't accepted. I wasn't invited to the big Samuel barbecue. All the things he could look at. But instead, he's like, you know what? He was at a point where he stopped making excuses and started towards the living God. Isn't that powerful? Like, I'm, I'm going to go to the Lord. And that's what we see as he repents, as he confesses before the Lord. It actually brings us back to verse 1. Because see, verses 3 through 5 Tell us about that time when he was, in a sense, out of close fellowship. He was dealing with things that kept him from being willing to speak closely to God. You, you know it in a personal sense, right? I mean, have you ever gotten in an argument with somebody, and you just didn't get things resolved, and, and then you see them in an aisle at Walmart, and you still have that option. You're at the intersection of marketing, 
And you can go towards them, or you can just keep on going like you have a sudden shopping list that just developed. But because you've had a rough interaction and there's been an unresolved issue, you naturally avoid them. Well, I'll talk to them later. I'll send them a text. I'll call. I'll email them. But in reality, we know it's avoidance behavior. And it's true. Most, all of us, we have avoidance behavior for, before God sometimes. We don't draw nearer to him. And so here David, you know, he's declaring in verses 1 and 2 this, this wonderful work of God. He's relating it in verses 3 through 5 in his own life. The promises had always been there. But he's realizing it. Man, when I didn't draw near to him, when I ignored my sin, I just grow tired. I, I ha- it was more than I could carry. as a weight I couldn't bear. And I acknowledge my sin to him. And you can really, you'll pick it up as you do your own study through the week in verses 6 through 11, how that's manifested and how it reveals David returning to the Lord. But it carries us back to verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiveness, is forgiven. I hope that you are renewed in the Lord. It's a result of repentance. It's an ongoing work throughout your life. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you actually went along just now with that verse because you know it and you're kind of reciting it in your head a little bit. It's a powerful verse because it reminds you repentance is an ongoing work because of the relationship with God. You don't have to have, like specifically make sure you nail everything you've ever done wrong so that you can be forgiven and if you miss something you're not forgiven because you didn't confess it. Don't go crazy on me. But realize the relationship is when you, when you see there's certain things that have kept you from God And you just admit it before him. You declare, this is my deal, God. I don't understand why I'm this way. It's, I chose it. I'm doing it. Yeah, there's influences. Yeah, there's things that have affected my behavior. But this is my deal. And I just give it to you, God. And it says that when we do that, he is faithful and just. He's righteous in his ways to forgive us of that and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us from those things that keep us held back. And ultimately, we're renewed in the Lord. I hope you know that experience. I know, hope you know the promises I'm speaking of in an experiential way, meaning you have experienced the joy. You know the weight that's taken off. You know the peace and the calmness of your heart because you've been forgiven, because you've repented, because you've said, Lord, this is, I just give it all to you. I turn to you. And it's a, it's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a sense of vitality. It's a sense of new life. And then when someone says, man, why are you all so chipper? You were pretty down last week. What, what, what happened? What do you smoke? What are you drinking? What do you inject into your system to alter your reality? Like, dude, nothing. I just, man, the Lord just spoke to me. Oh, you're getting that Jesus thing going down. Okay, I get it. But you're like, no, that's not it, man. I just, I just, man, I just, I just have my conscience clear. I have a real... You know, you can't even put it into words because it's a peace that surpasses understanding. You can't convey to someone that you per- what you personally experienced regarding the promises of God manifested in your life through the power of God because the person of God, the person of the Holy Spirit is within you and leading you. And you have a vitality and a joy. I hope you know that. I hope you've experienced it. I hope you long for it. I hope that none of us, one of my fears is that I can be a pastor 
I can be aging as a Christian. I can be trained by practice and know how to do things, but not be teachable before the Lord. Because I see it happen all too often. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can be trained and you can know, oh, this is the part that we, you know, in service with the worship song. And, and this is the part we do this and we're trained. But are we teachable? Can we be taught this very day about these words? It's not about, you know, gathering together and sharing that stuff with one another so you can somehow be built up through an accountability group. Perhaps you may choose that. It's about what we see here. David's renewed in the Lord because he took time and went before the Lord. And he laid aside the excuses and he cut through all the junk and he said, you know, it's, it's you I seek. It's my issues and I just lay it before you and I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to deal with the next thing, but I'm giving it to you, God. And he was encouraged. He was declaring, blessed is he. Oh, how happy. Not an emotion exclusively, not a circumstantial thing, but a, literally a satisfaction. It's like a satiated soul that's not dry. It's, it's literally satisfied. He's like, oh, man. You know, I've had issues in my life that I've chose not to deal with because they're small. Compared to what you guys do, you wicked sinners, my thing was simple. It was small. You guys are really not in a good mood today. <laughs> Just kidding. Seriously, you know, I, I literally think sometimes, and I'm speaking for you, so don't be looking at my face. Uh, there's times where I'm thinking it's just so small. I know other people that have done this and spent t time in jail for that. And they're, you know, I'm little. I'm just this little thing. And as I'm okay with it, I have to start building myself up in my own structure, my own system, because I'm not experiencing the strength from the Lord. And when I'm just saying, you know, I don't, I, it seems small to me, God, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to, it's, I just want to lay this before you. It's then when he brings vitality and he actually shows me that that's actually a seed of bitterness that's manifesting in this issue over here or this expression over there. And he brings a deeper work into my life and into your life when we're willing to say, God, I, I just need your help. I hope if you're a Christian and you've been experiencing his love for maybe decades, that you're eager for his teaching, and then you're hungry to be corrected by the living God. God forbid that we be so confident in our existence and our experience that we need not be corrected by him. We all need that loving, gentle correction. I want to close with 27 more verses and four more chapters, and then we'll call it a day because, you know, just kidding. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. It's not your righteousness. We understand David realized the righteousness of God was given to him as he repented from his ways and turned to God's way. He experienced that relational restoration. And he's able to say, be glad. It's an encouragement. Rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So if you would uh, stand with me, we're going to close in a word of prayer. And the worship team's going to come up. And we're going to close with a, a song of worship together. So if you'd stand with me. I'd like to pray. And I will insert just a comment 
We're told in verse 9 not to be like a horse or a mule, that we have to have a hunk of steel and a strap of leather wrapped around our head. I'm paraphrasing. A bit and bridle that we could be turned. Have you thought about that? He inserts that because sometimes individually, born again people can go, you know, I'll deal with it later. He says, do not be like that. Like the horse that has to have this thing put in its mouth and against its teeth and cause discomfort and a strap of leather tugging on the side of that stiff neck to get it to turn. He said, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And man, I tell you, I'd like to stand up here and say, I'm so glad that God has given me a flexible neck to follow him anywhere. But my old nature is as stubborn as anybody's, and maybe even yours. Let's pray together. God, we would consider your word and consider your truth, and we would see so much from the life of David, but we know that's not your emphasis that's there to help us be receptive and maybe even get us a glimpse of the application But the promise stands apart from David that you offer forgiveness, that you offer hope for those who will recognize they need forgiveness. You offer forgiveness. Even when we're in that drought, that season of sin, that time of dryness, you call to us. God, I pray for each one of us that if you're speaking to us about a particular situation, a scenario, maybe even sin, If you're speaking to us, God, would we have the courage? Could you give each of us the boldness and courage to humble ourselves before you and declare what we know to be true? May we confess to you our transgressions, our sin, our iniquity. May it be personal and intimate and private as we agree with you. And God, we know you're faithful. As we humble ourselves before you, admitting our need for you, you are faithful and just to cleanse us and pour into us your righteousness. If you're here or you're hearing this message and you don't know that you're born again, you're not even sure what that means, I'm going to just encourage you. It's agreeing with God about your sin. It's agreeing with God and saying, I know I have things I need to be forgiven of. I don't understand the depth of how the forgiveness comes about, but I know, God, you created me, and I went against you in so many ways. Being born again means we agree with God, but we also also ask him for his forgiveness. Please forgive me. God, I believe Jesus, you came as a man. You died for the sins of the world. You died for my sins. You conquered death and hell when you rose from the dead. And you went in, ascended into heaven. And so please, I ask that your life be my life. You give me this born again life that you speak of. And I would also ask God that now that I'm born again, now that I'm this new creation, this new person on the inside, be my father. Be my Lord. Be my God. Teach me to not go where I used to go, but to only draw to you, to know you in a deeper way. Thank you, God. Thank you.